Welcome to Nothing Confidential, the podcast. I'm Kristen Henke, your hostess with the mostest, guide from the side, and mistress of ceremonies. Together, we're about to explore and deconstruct the shame and stigma surrounding our sexuality. You heard that right. We're going deep on the topics of sex, relationships, spirituality, health, and everything else that impacts our ability to live, love, and orgasm freely. My hope is to shine a light on our shared experiences by normalizing taboo topics and empowering each of you to reclaim autonomy of your pleasure, your bodies, and your lives. You are now entering a judgment-free zone where I ask all the uncomfortable and embarrassing questions for you. Our unofficial mantra is be curious, not judgmental. So leave your inner prude at the door or strap her in tight because this is happening. Well, hello, you sexy devil. Welcome back to Nothing Confidential, the podcast, or if this is your first time joining us, welcome. I'm so excited and grateful that you're here. Today is, I feel like I say this every time, but it's it's very true. Today is extra special. Um, this week would typically be a hashtag asking for a friend episode. If you are familiar with the show, that is when I generally bring on one of my personal friends And we dig into a question that was written in anonymously. Um, And this time is a little bit different because I had the great honor of being asked to interview one of my very dear personal friends on her podcast for her 50th episode, which is a huge stinking deal. And I'm so excited. And that episode comes out today. So we thought it would be fun to share that same conversation over here with all of you. So it is still an asking for a friend with a friend because I am asking all of the questions of my very personal beloved friend, Lauren Zoller. Lauren Zoller is a CTA certified life and business transformation coach, ERYT 200 motivational speaker and podcast host. She's achieved overwhelming success in helping high achievers ditch burnout, find purpose and make money to live the life of a hashtag balanced boss. Lauren is the creator of the four-step transformational mindset process, a cutting edge coaching system that elicits lasting change to overcome burnout and avoid a misdiagnosed clinical disorder and the Balance Boss Academy, a learning platform that teaches entrepreneurs how to build and scale business with heart. Lauren's own story of overcoming depression and anxiety has led her to advocate for a balanced approach to life and business. She's now the president and CEO of Lauren Zoller Coaching, as well as the founder and host of the Balance Boss Podcast, a show that interviews high achievers who are following their dreams and staying healthy in the process. Lauren has been featured in international publications such as Prevention, Shape, Business Insider, Total Beauty, Thrive Global, Gold Coast, Money, Inc., Healthline, Greatest, and more. Lauren lives in Nashville, Tennessee with her sweet Persian cat, Ellie. When she is not teaching or coaching, you can find her traveling, speaking, and leading workshops to promote her ultimate message of living a healthy, successful, and balanced life. Woo! Um, So my friends come highly qualified. (laughs) Let's just say that. I am jazzed to share this conversation with you. And I love it because Lauren is an incredible coach, but I feel kind of the same way about coaches as I do therapists. Like if your coach doesn't have a coach or your therapist doesn't have a therapist, can they be trusted? Um, that's the big question. My opinion is that anyone who is helping others do 
really deep, raw, vulnerable work should also be doing that same work so that they are more readily able to tap in to the support and the tools needed to guide somebody through that. And they're familiar with it because they are continually going through that. Additionally, I, I think that, you know, coaching and therapizing and all of that, you know, these people are human beings. Um, sorry, that's my toast (laughs) in the oven. I kind of forgot about that. Um, but these people are human beings and, they do not have all of the answers. They are not the expert on you. What they do have is perspective. They have traveled further down the road than you have, and they have gone through hard things and they have found answers for themselves and they have discovered tried and true methods of evolving and moving through and healing. And they are then in the position to reach back and offer a hand to you. And so I am just really so proud and honored to know Lauren. We have been friends, sisters, soulmates, twin flames um, for years now, and she is a huge part of my life. So it's really special for me to be able to share her with you, to share her work with you. Uh, She really is making huge waves out in the um, transformational life business space. And she's helping others do the same. Her next round of the Balanced Boss Academy Business Accelerator is starting June 1st. This course sells out every single time. So if you guys are looking for an entrance into this world, into understanding that life, business, body connection, Lauren is your girl. This is going to be an incredible program. I'm going to link all of this in the show notes. I'm going to share all points of access to Lauren so that you can get a hold of her, read her words, really get to know her. But I just, I'm ready for you guys to dive into this conversation. We talk about everything. There's nothing that we don't cover. Um, <laughs> I ask her about her relationships. I ask her about her love life. I ask her about her childhood. We talk about how she transitioned from being a mega yogi into doing what she's doing today. There's so much here for you guys, and I'm so excited to share every single minute of it. So buckle in, get cozy. I mean, it's super fun to like turn the script around on a life coach. If you're wondering what your life coach is dealing with at any point in time, this this is a good little uh, good little window, good little peek. And I think it's so incredible and just brave of Lauren to show up this way and to allow herself to be seen in this way. And I am just, again, so deeply honored that she asked me to peel back those onion layers. So Lauren, I love you. Listeners, I also love you. Enjoy. We're officially live. Awesome. I can only see your eyebrows. (laughs) There you go. I mean, eyebrows are an excellent indicator of like what you're feeling. So like, I can still gauge. I still have a good emotional gauge with just eyebrows, but <laughs> it's just easier for me to like have it here. So right. I can use my hands. Okay. Well, hello, hello, balanced bosses. If you're wondering who the heck is this, this is your friend, Kristen Henke from what was it? Was my episode nine? I think episode nine talking about sex yes. and intimacy and all of those good things, good friend and lover of Lauren Zoller here with you uh, because we have a very, very special 
thing happening. This is the 50th episode of the Balance Boss podcast. And that is phenomenal. And I'm so excited that Lauren asked me to come and be here. And we're going to flip the show around a little bit today because I am going to interview her tell-all style. And the reason that Lauren wanted to do this for you guys is because as a coach, she continually presses you guys to your edges. She encourages, she works in evolution and in growth and in being uncomfortable and facing our truths and being vulnerable. And it can become easy as the coach to get kind of comfy on the other side of the couch, taking notes and having other people go through these practices. And, uh, yeah, you kind of, you can, you can get to a place where, it's way easier to help other people access that deep, slightly scary, vulnerable place inside of them. Uh, and you kind of stop going there yourself. And so I think all good coaches, which Lauren is a phenomenal coach, y'all know that, but all good coaches continue doing the work themselves. And that is, that's integrity. That is how you continue to grow as an individual anyone who is being coached, you want your coach to, to also be coached. You want your coach to be practicing what they preach. And so I think this is a really beautiful example of practicing what she preaches. So you guys, welcome to her own show, Miss Lauren Zoller. <laughs> How weird is this for you, Lo? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so, I already tried to run away by making you turn off the video. I'm like, can we turn off the video so we can just do audio on this and I don't have to look at you while I answer I these like, questions? Nah, we're going to look into each other's eyes, <laughs> talk about our feelings. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. 50. First of all, can we just, oh, I can I acknowledge you for that? 50 is huge. I know it's crazy. And I, um, I didn't even really, I didn't even like recognize that it was the 50th episode. It, it was my assistant that came to me and she was like, Hey, by the way, like, um, you have a 50th episode coming up. And I was like, Holy shit. I do cake? like, you want to <laughs> do something about that? <laughs> it's so weird. Like, and you know, cause you're, you are yeah. now in the podcast world too. Yes. And which I'm just so happy and excited and proud. And I love it. Everyone ever. It's so funny. Cause I have so many people that call and tell me like, Oh my God, did I just listened to Kristen's last, last episode. It's so good. Um, but it's, I don't know. You just kind of get into the rhythm of putting them out and you don't even, I don't know. Like I didn't even know. It's so crazy. Can't believe yeah. that we're already at the 50th episode. I know it's insane. And you've had some major guests on the show. I mean, I about crapped my pants when you had Danielle Laporte on here. I'm not going to lie. I know. I know. <laughs> and Alyssa Vitti and like, I mean, all of our like Bible people, like the people that you and I have been, you know, quoting, underlying and building our lives upon for years. Like it's insane. Right. Right. Well, Eve, I mean, so yeah, Danielle Lepore was insane. She was just a yes, but it's funny. Alyssa Vitti you introduced me to Alyssa Vitti. I know. I wasn't going to say that, but totally did. <laughs> yeah. Like years ago when my hormones, which I know we're going to talk about hormones today, when my hormones were, you know, through the roof, I didn't know what was happening. You handed me her Bible, the woman code. Yeah. Woman code. I hand it to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then I fell in love and, and she was yeah. on the show. She's kind of crazy. Person. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like a crazy full circle 
it's amazing. It's amazing. But I'm just, I'm so proud of you and inspired by the work that you're doing and how you've used the podcast to really integrate into that. And so I am honored to be here uh, with all of you. And as Lauren mentioned, I, I do have a, a, a new little baby podcast. She was born in January, uh, Nothing Confidential. And as the name suggests, we talk about literally everything. Uh, my whole spiel is normalizing taboo conversations so that people feel seen and less alone. It can be scary to think that you're the only one. And I think that is one of the most common side effects of humanity is the whole universe collectively is thinking that they're the only one at the same time, which is really, really hilarious. Um, but it happens. And so I think this is going, that's probably that's why you guys, that's why she asked me to come here and ask her all of the questions that maybe you guys have wondered about her and haven't asked or that no one else has had the opportunity to ask because she was sitting on the other side of the microphone. Um, and I, this is going to be fun for you because I know firsthand I did my first interview in a long time. It'd been, I mean, at least six months or, or more since I had been interviewed. And when you're the mm -hmm. one who's interviewing all the time, it feels real weird to suddenly <laughs> like be interviewed. You're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> you're like, hold on, hold on. Do I, do I know the answer to that? I don't know. <laughs> like I can't, I can't ask you a question. Wait, what? You're like, wait a second. <gasps> um, yeah. So I'm gonna have to listen for that too. If you start trying to interview me, I'll have to shut you down. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll be like, nope, back to the question. <laughs> well, and I think too, I mean, there's when my assistant and I were trying to brainstorm of what to do for this 50th episode. And I, and she said, you know, she, she put all so many amazing ideas on the table. And I was like, you know, I really need to flip the script and let's do a tell all episode. She loved it. And we were brainstorming of people. You were the first person that came to my mind. I was like, listen, <laughs> Kristen knows everything about me. A but B, she's going to be the only person I know that's not going to let me run and hide. She's going to make me share everything that's vulnerable and confidential. So I'm glad that we're here. Yeah, me too. I'm so excited. And I love you. I love you so much. So I always say that before I like start ripping back um, onion peel <laughs> layers and whatever. I'll just say that I super love you. And uh, I'm excited. I think it's awesome that you're doing this and that you're willing to show up and be seen. I think that speaks very highly to your to your character and your level of commitment to your own growth, which then gives you the tools to be an even better coach and show up for your clients. So I think that's incredible. So let's, let's start there kind of with the coaching, the coaching journey. Uh, let's, let's first give a little cover just in case, because, you know, we have new listeners all the time. So if people are just showing up to the show and the first show that they listen to is this 50th episode of the Balanced Boss podcast, could you give like a quick background on what brought you to coaching? Like maybe mm -hmm. start with your, start with your rock bottom, Lauren, that brought you <laughs> to coaching and we'll go from there. Yeah. So it was, it's been a long journey, um, but it's been a long journey, but a fulfilling one. And if I look, if I, if I look at the onion and I start to strip back the layers, it, it's been obvious as to how I stepped into this space. But I grew up as, if we go way, way back, like way, way back to the beginning, I grew up as a performer. So I was a dancer and singer all through high school, went to a performing arts high school, went to a university for dance for college. I went to the University of Illinois. 
and actually finished at Bellarmine University with a vocal degree. So I've always kind of been in the arts. And my sophomore year in high or in college, I was injured and I was stripped from my dance career. That's what led me into music. So I had this moment in my life when I was stripped from my dance career where I had sort of an identity crisis. Like I had had this dream career that I had been building since I was six years old. And then suddenly out of nowhere, it was stripped from me. And so I did what most people do. I moved on to the next thing without really processing any of that. I didn't know how to process anything, right? When I was a sophomore in college. And I immediately went into something else that allowed me to be seen and perform, which was singing. So I, I finished my degree in vocal performance, which led me to Nashville with a management deal after I graduated from college. And I started singing in Nashville and it was really hard. Like it was super, super hard. I'd been in Nashville for two years. I, my management deal fell apart. My band fell apart. So again, I was dealing with another huge life shift where this thing that I had created for myself, this dream again had been stripped from me. And so this time I was in a really deep, dark place. Like I think I was old enough to understand that this, what's next, right? Like I'm in my twenties, this is all that I've known. What do I do next? So I slipped into this really dark place. I didn't know I was drinking all the time. I was hanging out with the wrong people. I was, you know, tampering with drugs, just trying to figure out something that would kind of numb the pain. And I started going to therapy. I did the first thing that most people do when they go to a dark place, when they start to ask their friends for help, right? Their friends are like, hey, go to therapy and see what happens. So I started seeing a therapist and therapy was great. It was okay. Like it really helped me highlight how this performance career had defined me in a lot of ways. And really my life was so much more than being on stage. So I was able to strip that back, but it really didn't help me move forward. So I was leaving my therapist's office one day and I stumbled upon, I was literally came out and was going to my car and I saw this sign on the side of the built on the side of this building that said, breathe, come inside. And I was like, that's really weird. Like nobody's asked me to breathe before, like told me to breathe, really. What is this? And so that was the first time that I just magically stumbled into a yoga studio. And I was dressed in jeans. And, and if y'all and, ever try to do yoga in jeans, <laughs> shit don't work. It does not work. <laughs> but I walked in and for whatever reason, I was like met by this, I don't know, this I mean, I know the woman now, but I was met by this woman who literally just lit up the room when I walked in. She had a beautiful smile. She just seemed so at ease. And for whatever reason, I was like, I need that. Like, I need to have that. So I, they invited me to my first yoga class and I started taking yoga. And after I left my first yoga class, I was 100% addicted. It was the first thing that I had done that made me feel like the weight of the world had been lifted off of my shoulders and that I could actually take a deep breath even more than, than therapy really did for me. So I kind of went with what worked and I started going to yoga all the time. So I just started to go every single day. I'm like, right, this makes me feel good. I'm going to keep showing up. 
And next thing I knew, I was getting so in love with yoga that I decided to go back and get my yoga teacher certification, graduated from yoga teacher certification, started teaching. I actually quit. In the meantime, I had gotten a corporate job, quit my corporate job and started teaching full-time. And I started to notice that after my yoga classes, my students were coming up to me and asking me to go deeper with some of the stuff that was coming up in class that I was giving them. And I felt like it was out of my scope of practice to take them deeper. I wasn't a therapist. I think that, you know, there are a lot of yoga teachers out there who ego gets involved, right? And so they, they loosely it. therapize. <laughs> yes, yes. So they think that they can fix everyone's problems. And I was at a space where I was like, man, I like barely have my shit figured out. I don't, you know, I don't really feel like it's <laughs> in the right frame of mind to be able to tell you how to fix your shit. It's very responsible of you. Everyone thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> so, but there was this little like fire inside me that wanted to help guide people. I just wanted to do it the right way. So I had a friend who said, why don't you, why don't you look at hiring a life coach? And so I did. I hired my first life coach with zero. I really had no money. Thank goodness for her. She had a sliding scale. And I started working with my very first life coach and I fell in love. And after working with her for about three to six months, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go do this. This is, this is what I needed. This is the step I needed. So I went back and I got my life coaching certification. I took my board exam and, you know, was, I'm now an ICF certified coach, the International Coaching Federation. And I just started coaching. I started coaching my yoga students and then it went one step further. And I started coaching in the corporate arena with people that were really struggling with work-life balance because that was a part of my story as well. And then that slowly morphed into people finding their purpose and wanting to build a business on top of their purpose. And so now I coach people in building their dream business and also managing life. So that was a very long story, but no, that's how I it got was, here. Yeah. No, I think it's super interesting because I came along, uh, you know, after you'd become a yoga teacher and you had... I think it had been fairly recently that you had finished all of your hours required for your coaching stuff. So when I met you, you were still like really heavy on the yoga teaching side and like very light on the coaching side. So you're just kind of making that transition. Um, one thing I want to run back for before I move through there, because a bunch of stuff popped up and said hello <laughs> to me while you were talking about that, but just, you know, circling back to basically your, uh, your whole life dream and your future crashing down around you by the time you were 20. I mean, that's quite a lot to begin with, but is there any part of you? I'm just curious. The fact that you were so attracted to dance and singing and performance at such a young age. And that was like your singular focus. Do you think that at that age that came from just passion and joy and like uninhibited freedom and, and wanting to just to feel in your body and, and all of those good things? Or do you think that there was a very early need to be seen? Oh, or both. It was a hundred percent needing to be seen. Yeah. hundred percent. I, I read 
I read somewhere recently, it was some actress somewhere was like, yeah, pretty much anyone who's in this business is like a people pleaser. Like we, it's something that we all suffer from. It's like, we all came to this work to be someone else because we're either to be someone else or to be seen for who we are because we are uncomfortable basically. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And I was just wondering if that resonated with you since you were so driven performance-based stuff. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I speak about this loosely, um, or I have spoken about this loosely, but performing for me was safe. Like when I was underneath the lights and I was on stage and I, the audience could see me, but I couldn't see the audience because if you've ever, if you've ever been a like a performer on stage from a theatrical standpoint, and those lights hit you and you're on stage and people are watching you, you can't see anything in the audience. Like there is not even, even if someone's sitting in the front row, like you may like glance at their, like you may be able to see like the whites of their eyes, but for the most part, the lights are so bright, you don't see anything. So there was so much of, I mean, I, you know, I was the oldest child and I grew up in a very, very loving household. Like I have fantastic parents, they're the best. But there was always a piece of me growing up that didn't feel like I just didn't feel at home in my body. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. And it's, it's, a, it's a struggle now, even in my 30s, to really ground myself in, in who I am and, and really in, in grounding of how my body feels. I mean, even in this quarantine, I mean, this is a perfect example. The first couple of weeks, I was shaming hard. Mm-hmm. Like... I would have a piece of bread and I would, I would find myself on a guilt trip for eating gluten. Yeah. A piece of freaking bread, right? In my thirties. Snacking and yeah. Yeah. Like, and there was so much shame and guilt around it. So I still have to catch myself and really work through that. And I think that performing for me was a, was a mask that I could just slap on and not have to deal with the fact that I absolutely hated my body <laughs> and I hated the way that I looked and I hated the way that I presented myself. It was a way for me to, to not have to deal with that, yeah. you know, and it to just kind of hide from that. Yeah. yeah. Performing gave you permission to be someone other than yourself, to, to be with the lights and to be with the crowd, even though they were invisible and to not be with yourself. Right. A hundred and ten percent. And that led to some really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I didn't I, I didn't take care of anything. I didn't address it. I mean, you don't you don't address things when you're in your no, teens and your twenties. You yeah, know what I mean? Like definitely not. <laughs> you're just trying to, to get by. Yeah. But it really um it really sent me into a, a tailspin. And now I now when I because here's the deal, like I still freaking love it. Like I love performing and I yeah. love the spotlight but I have to really get clear with myself before I do something like, Hey, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Cause you the know? intention is everything. It's like, are you reverting to your childhood, like comfort zone patterns, escape mechanism, or are you, you know, doing it for simple pleasure or for, you know, for a sense of accomplishment or for empowerment or, you know, any of those things with the knowledge that you have now. And I mean, hindsight is obviously such a gift you had mentioned that, you know, you felt like you grew up in a really like supportive, loving home, yet you still really struggled. 
Do you feel like any part of that? And I know this is like leading the witness a little bit, but you did grow up in the deep South. Like I did mm-hmm. in that kind of like Bible belt culture where it's like, good girls do this and good girls do this and good girls don't do this. Do you feel like that had anything to do with, with the negativity that you perceived, even though you had such a loving environment to be a child in? You know, it's, it's funny that you asked that Kristen, because I don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, I did grow up in a Catholic school, right? Like K through eight (laughs) had to wear my, everybody wore the same skirt to school and, you know, we went to church every Wednesday and it was very, I mean, you know, it was very structured and I grew up in a very faith-based family, but I was lucky enough in high school. I went to a very liberal high school. I went to Manual High School and, and, Louisville, I almost said Nashville, in Louisville, because I've lived there for so long, it feels like home, in Louisville, where, you know, I I went to school with black, white, Asian, gay, straight, bi, transsexual, like, it was, Manual really is the melting pot of really Louisville, but the South, so I think yes and no, I think what I really did struggle with was this privileged white girl coming from East Louisville mm-hmm. <laughs> who had grown up like in a Catholic school was, I was so freaking naive. So I think the answer to that is yes and no. I think the saving grace for me was really when I went to high school and I was able to experience that because it kind of balanced it out. Yeah. I balanced yeah. it out. But I think that my K through eight experience, if I would have continued that on into high school, I think we would be having a totally different conversation right now. And I only know that because I, I've seen it unfold with a lot of my, you know, childhood friends that grew up in that environment where they didn't really have that sense of, you know, eclectic community to grow into. So I think that there's a yes and a no. My very early childhood was, you know, very much rooted in, you can't do this. You can't do this. But then when I went into high school, I think my parents started to see like, oh, she's really into this art stuff. And these art yeah. people are a little bit different than what <laughs> we we're used to. probably embrace some of this <laughs> because your we parents are very loving people. And, you know, sometimes that conditioning doesn't even come directly from our parents. Sometimes it's very indirect because it's so deeply ingrained societally that it's not, you know, it doesn't even come from your direct authority figures. It just, we're just kind of marinating in it even when we're not aware always. Um, So I think the fact, I think yes and no is the appropriate answer to almost everything, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think, I think we're, we're all living in 50 shades of gray, not in the sexual sense, but the fact that it's just real hard to paint anything blacker these days. Yeah. Well, you know, in saying that, to think about it now in, in today's context, and you and I have had this conversation before, I think where it really shows up in my life is that I did feel societal pressure to get married and have kids and live the white picket fence life. And like, I'm 32 and not married, you know, and I don't have kids and they're not coming anytime soon. (laughs) So that was what I really struggled with. Mm -hmm. Like having that societal pressure of being in the South and feeling like, oh my God, I'm 25 years old. Like, where's my mate? It's time to start. You know what I mean? That is where I think it really did show up for me. And you know, I mean, you've, You've we been on that yeah. journey <laughs> yeah. with me. Like that was the biggest societal pressure that I felt like I needed to adhere to. Yeah. 
And it's, it's so funny. And I can just, because obviously I was right there, like doing it with you for the most part, though. I think Mike, Mike, Mike has been a part of your journey the whole time too. I think we were already (laughs) together by the time you came along, but I had already, I had already done it. I had already been there and done it. And it's really funny because I actually, and it's going to sound, it's super shitty, but I'm going to say it anyway, because you're my friend and I love you. I've already confessed this to you. So I'm just confessing it to everybody else. (laughs) I, I'm the person who wanted to be like really different. And I like, didn't, I wanted to make a statement about everything. Like I didn't want to get married until I was like 40. And if I could adopt (laughs) a child on my own before I got married, even better. And then I would like to have like an animal rescue farm. And like, I didn't want to do anything traditionally. I wanted to put everything off like long enough to make everyone really worry about me. And then like come around sometime after 45, when I'd had a chance to like (laughs) make a lot of money and like do a lot of wild things and then have like all of my kids and my husband and the farm and like all that stuff. And what ended up happening is I accidentally fell in love with this beautiful asshole when I was like 23 and we got married when I was 26 and I'm a baby right before I turned 30. And shit <laughs> has been pretty predictable. <laughs> Other than, I mean, we do a couple things to shake it up here and there. Like we quit our jobs and traveled the world and like we've, we've done things to keep it from sucking quite so much, but it just, things went a little more smoothly than I really wanted them to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, and it goes back to, you know, Tell God and the universe your plan and then and they'll watch. Say, you. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Like watch the universe laugh in your face exactly. because your life is what I pick is like, what? That was my plan. Right. Right. Like my plan was to get married at 23 years old and live a few, like two to three years with my husband while we built this beautiful house yeah. and then had this baby. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah. absurd. It's so funny. Um, moving, moving right along, uh, to the next thing, which, so I want to, I want to go back to yoga for a second because it's a huge part of both of our lives and both of our stories. And I was just, I was cracking up to myself a little bit, even while you were talking, because I've, I, as soon as you asked me to interview you, I knew that I was going to ask you this question (laughs) and it's that I want to know what it is. Like if you could tell everybody. I mean, I know like on, on some level it's different because we're all individuals, but I do think there's like a collective something that pulls people like you and like me and like every person who has just been like living their life and suddenly decided that they had to go to yoga teacher training. Like, I want to know (laughs) what that thing is because we've, we've both done that. Like I did that. I was just talking to a friend of mine who is, I mean, a phenomenal woman. She's out in LA. She has a skincare line now. She does like all of these things, but she did the same thing. It was like, it's almost like yoga teacher training is the like meltdown of all the toxic crap we've been running from. It like puts everything on pause so that we can get a breath. And then we like birth ourselves into the next part of our life. Like it seems to be this kind of rebirth period for a lot of people. And just like, as a coach, like in your professional opinion, what sends, it feels like a lot of women in my experience, because that's who we're talking to. Um, so I'm not excluding men, but just in my personal experience and my personal friendships and my personal life, like what sends young, desperate women running into the arms of yoga teacher training to get certified and do 200 hours of sweaty workouts and therapy and crying in circles and chanting and talking about chakras. Like what makes people do that? (laughs) So I have a theory behind this. I'm so glad you asked this question because (laughs) I've, I've never, and you know, I I have a theory 
and I think this is what let me there and probably you too, but this is what I think leads people there. So we know now because we've done the deep work, right? Like I say, we've done the deep work. We're always doing the deep work. Yeah. (laughs) We're always doing it. But now that you are able to recognize when something like, you know, you and I just had a conversation on the phone about trauma triggers, right? And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but how the butterfly feeling in your tummy really is a trauma trigger. Like you can Mm -hmm. feel that you recognize it. I think what yoga does for people is that it allows people to work through their shit on a physical level so that they can get deeper into the mental and emotional. And so what pulls people to yoga, usually, at least what pulled me there is that thing, you notice that something in your life isn't right. Something doesn't feel good. Something doesn't, things aren't lining up. You're just kind of in this place of, I know there's more, but what? And what yoga does so beautifully is that it attacks the physicalness of what has manifested in your body first. Mm. So it's really tangible to feel a weightlessness after a yoga, yoga class in your body. It's really tangible to feel an opening in your body after yoga. And so the physical, like, as we know, the physicalness of something is you can touch it. Like it's tangible, right? So when you can touch that and you start to see this transformation on a physical level, then you can start to get curious about, oh, well, what else is there? So I think that what pulls people to yoga in the first place, whether it's to yoga, a yoga practice or to teaching yoga is that when you you're pulled into this transformation on a physical level and you notice like after you've been doing yoga for a little while, like, Oh shit, it's way more than just physical. Yeah. Like anyone who has ever lost their shit and ugly cried in a hip opener, like knows that yoga is more than just a workout. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because we, we store trauma. We mm-hmm. store experiences. We store everything in our body And it manifests as pain. Mm -hmm. It manifests as tightness. It manifests as something physical because everything that you experience mentally, emotionally, it it manifests that way. So yoga is kind of like the gateway to start to break some of that open on a physical level. And then you're so open and things are starting to feel great that now you can actually think about, oh, hey, I probably need to go a little bit deeper into this mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what pulls people in. No, you know, that I got like chill bumps while you were saying that. So that's true. (laughs) That's, that's how I live my life. Like if I get full body chills, it means that truth is resonating with me. So I'm like, yes, that's what you're saying. (laughs) That's a great answer. You know, and we've (laughs) talked about this too. I think, you know, now, you know, when you're having pain somewhere, instead of just accepting it as pain, you're like, oh man, what am I like? I'm not addressing something. Yeah. I need to go to yoga and figure out what this is. It's actually you hilarious know? because there's like this whole, this whole new, just the way that you relate and talk. Like I forget what it was like to, to not be who I am now, if that makes sense. You know, like at 23, like our conversations would be very different as opposed to now, like the two of us talking, like if somebody could listen to us and they haven't done therapy, they're not deep <laughs> into yoga. They haven't done all these things. You know, I'd be like, 
oh God, like my left hip, I'm really feeling some tension there. And I feel like definitely some stuff in the kidneys. So probably like unresolved trauma from like childhood, but then also it's coming up in like my marriage and you would be like, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Maybe go get some like acupuncture and just like, drink some water and just try to be really gentle with yourself. Okay. <laughs> And maybe sit down with your husband and you should yeah. have a really like a couch session. Maybe some eye gazing. Yeah. And then <laughs> do ther- and then play therapist couch. <laughs> I'll hold the baby while you play therapist couch. Oh, the best. <laughs> it's so, so, so true. It's so funny. I wish that people could go back like three years ago and record and our conversation. Yeah. I was like, totally what different. the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> and you're just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Here's a shot We've of tequila. So yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We definitely drank a lot more. <clears throat> There was a lot of rosé during our um, self-discovery sessions, yes. like b- much more than now. Now alcohol <laughs> is not really involved in our process as much, but you know what? Whatever it takes to get there, man, like we all start somewhere. So zero judgment on that. Yeah. It's so true. It's <laughs> I, so I true. love 23-year-old rosé, love and Kristen. I, I love her very much. <laughs> have a lot of compassion for her. <laughs> um, okay. So while we're kind of in, in yoga land still, because- it's, it's so funny. Cause I'm like, yes, I'm interviewing you, but there are so many, we've been such a central part of each other's lives now for, you know, what feels like a significant amount of time that when you're like telling your story, I feel like you're also like telling part of my story because they intersected, you know, yes. for so long. <laughs> so <clears throat> you go through yoga teacher training, you're doing all this stuff and yoga brought you, I mean, a ton of really significant gifts. It gave you a career option. It gave you access to clients. It gave you a basis for this coaching work that you're doing. It gave you an understanding of yourself. It gave you acceptance of your body. Like it gave you so many beautiful things. It also sent along some really powerful gifts in the form of some epic shit storms. And I would like to, to drill down into that because- this is true of true of any of these spaces, right? You have to be really vigilant. So everybody listening, you know, if, if you are being coached, if you are going to yoga, if you are going to therapy, if you are working with any healers or guides of any kind, it's really important that you are vigilant about who that person is, about who is teaching them, about who is holding them accountable, about what their measure for integrity is, about, you know, because it's, very easy when you're feeling lost and broken and uncomfortable and, and tired. A lot of us come to these places feeling really tired and it's easier to just like give all of that to someone and be like, Oh, fix me, fix this. And not, you know, really hold them to a higher standard. And sometimes we don't realize until later that they're also just a human being who may or may not be doing their own work and they might be slowly poisoning us. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so we both had an experience. Um, I, I, we're going to go into it because it's been enough time now that I know that both of us, we no longer really hold any anger or animosity around it, which we did for a long time, reasonably so. But at this point, I think we have a lot of um, perspective and compassion and um, gratitude for what we both gleaned and learned um, from the situation and the individual that I am bringing up. And I know you know exactly who and what I'm talking about. Yes. Um, can you Can you kind of walk us through that? Because yoga brought you to a person who was really instrumental and really central in your life for a good chunk of time. 
and things didn't quite go the way we thought they were going to go. Yeah. Um, Can we talk about that? Yeah, we can. Um, And you know what? I've never talked about this. So bear with me here. Yeah. We're not naming (laughs) names. There's no need to do that. Um, But I I think the experience is really, really important because abuse of power and authority figures is something that people really need to be aware of. And I think everyone has experienced it on some level. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, so and I'm trying to think about where to start with this. So for, for those of you who know me and for those of you who don't, before I ventured into my coaching practice, I was a part of a joint entrepreneurial venture in Nashville. Um, I myself, after graduating and teaching in the yoga world for a while, decided to co-open a yoga studio. And I think it's really important to highlight, I'm so glad you brought this up, Kristen. I think it's really important to highlight that regardless of where you are in self-development guiding and teaching. So if you're a coach, if you're a therapist, if you're a yoga instructor, if you're a bar instructor, if you're a fitness instructor, if you are helping people along their mental, physical, emotional journey in life, there's a moment that happens when you have, when you have worked through something for yourself and you have kind of seen how things play out in your own life, there's a moment that appears where ego starts to enter. And what I mean by ego is that you know that you've worked through it and you have this moment of, oh, I've worked through it. And so I can teach and I can lead and I can heal others through this. And that is what happened to us. I think that's what happened to you and I is that we stumbled upon not just for me, it wasn't just one person. I mean, this is, this has been a very consistent, there were several. several. (laughs) We stumbled upon this huge realization that we were dealing with ego-driven individuals who weren't necessarily doing the work themselves. They weren't holding the space for us to, not even just you and I, but for everyone to find their own path because here's the deal. There's healers don't heal you. No. Right. I actually don't even really like the world word healer because there's no such thing as a I healer. There's like a healing guide. Like yeah. healers guide you to heal yourself. Right. Yeah. And they hold the space for you to, to find that on your own. And so without directly diving straight into exactly what happened, there was a, there was an ego struggle Mm -hmm. and there was a power trip that was happening that wasn't allowing the natural progression of my journey, your journey, healing or not to unfold. And so what ended up happening is that it just became an abuse of power and it became very toxic. And I noticed myself, like I was even slipping into that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not this these group, this group of people isn't just to blame themselves. I know I'm like tiptoeing around a lot of this, but because, because it really did, like there was an abuse of power on my own. I kind of had this ego brain that, that I tapped into, like I'm the almighty Lauren and I can heal and coach and, you know, get you to shed all of your trauma and feel really good in your body and lose 10 pounds and deal with your mommy issues. And like, I felt like I was able to do that. Right. Yeah. So 
it was a huge ego check for myself. And when I was able to recognize that things didn't feel good and I didn't feel like I was able to unfold on my journey the way that I needed to, it put me in check. Like, Hey, how am I showing up for people right now? You know, like I'm not holding the space for other people. Their journey is not going to look like mine. Um, and so that's, that was kind of what catapulted my coaching career and really flipped the switch from success to not having success was that ability to look at, look, I'm not going to heal anyone. I can't tell anyone what to do. I am not a mother. I'm not a father, which I know you're going to resonate with this. I can't tell you what you're supposed to do on your healing journey. That is your journey. I can hold the space for you. I can tell you what worked for me. I can be here to, to cheer you on as your coach on this journey, but getting my ego involved and telling you what to do and expecting you to do it is just a recipe for disaster. So I know that in this situation and with, um, you know, some of, some of these individuals, one in particular, when I, because I, you know, I, I got, I got drew into the middle of the web right with you. And, um, then I had actually a really startling, um, realization, which thankfully I spent a lot of years, um, dealing with trauma. So my ability to connect trauma, uh, to connect trauma sensations, to recognize when I'm having a trauma reaction has gotten pretty good. Like it's pretty quick. And so, you know, it actually wasn't, it felt long because there was, it was concentrated. There were a lot of hours and a lot of days and a lot of weeks, like on top of each other, where there was exposure to this environment. And so it felt like longer than it was before I had like all the lights go on. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what's happening. I'm playing out a really unhealthy dynamic with this person. And like, it feels like she's hurting me, but I keep showing up to this dynamic because of some of my own past trauma. And I was able to see that. And then I was able to stop the cycle. I was like, you know what? We're not even going to make it about you. Like you're just doing what you do. I just continue showing up for the beating because I am like, I'm looking for that, that Mm -hmm. trauma cycle. And I didn't realize I was doing it. So once I realized it, I was able to remove myself from the situation. And that was, you know, hunky dory, like (laughs) easier said than done, but eventually it was done. So I'm wondering for you, like I was drawn to the energy and to the power mm-hmm. and to the, the, the vision and the feeling and the essence of that person based on this unresolved trauma inside of me that needed to be met. What was it that drew you to that person? Yeah. Because mine was like unresolved mommy issues. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there for the world. Well, but like, what I, was yours? Uh, the same. Okay. So, <laughs> and not so much unresolved mommy issues because this has been brought to the table. And I know that my mom's going to be listening to this episode, but I grew up in a family where the women in my family, you know, whether it be my grandmother, my aunt, my mother, I grew up in a very, I hate to use the word enabling, but everything was done for us. Like, you know, my mom and I have had this conversation. She was like, gosh, I wish I would have taught you all to do your chores. And I wish that I would have taken you out into the community to do more community service. And so I grew up in this, this 
environment with my mother where she really did. I mean, I have an awesome, I mean, as we're speaking right now, I'm at my parents' house and she's making breakfast right now. Like that's just the way that she is. She's like a real life earth angel. (laughs) She is an angel. And I freaking like can't, she's my best friend. I can't imagine life without her. But what that did for me growing up that way is that I had a really hard time making decisions for myself. Like I couldn't make life altering decisions. And still to this day, I struggle with it. Like, if you know me, I'm always asking everyone else what they want to do first. And then I have to realize, no, Lauren, you have to tap it. What do you want? Like tap into what you want. You know, you can do this, you know? And I went through therapy to kind of peel these layers back. But I think for me, it was the ability to have someone recognize me and tell me what to do. And it all ended the whole shebang ended with, and and this is when I recognized it with this person telling me, I took you in as part of my family. I took you in as my daughter. And how could you do this to me? And I was like, wait, we had a business endeavor. I never asked you to be my mother. Yeah. Right. Like I didn't, I know I don't need another mother. I have a loving, caring, angelic, wonderful, supportive, caring mother at home who I've worked through. Like we've, we've been in the depths of some really deep shit before. Like I didn't need, I never asked you to be my mother, but that is kind of where I noticed that that's what attracted me. Like my, you know, I, there was somebody that could make these decisions for me. There was someone that could make this dream come to life that again, seemed so grandiose and wonderful and beautiful, but really what it was, was I was never seen as a business partner. Mm -hmm. You were just another one of the gaggle of kids. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I was just, so yeah. So it really well, was. This person was playing out her own trauma story and had made you a character in her story. And it yes. was, you know, it, and that's, I think that's a really important point for everyone listening. It's like, there are never like, you know, victims and, and victors. It's like the story on both sides. Like if you were to look into the other person's side, they're playing out some form of trauma. They are showing up in that role because of something that happened to them as well. Exactly. And, and I think what's important to highlight too, is that when this happened to me and when it, when it happened to you, because I know that you did it too, we looked instead of, we never blamed, we sat back and said, holy shit, what do we need to heal within ourselves that led us to this place yeah. to oh, make us feel so this way? Out. I was like, oh my God. Like I, cause I remember, I remember saying the words, like she this person said something to me and it triggered me and I spat out something that I have said to another person before that was not Mm -hmm. her. And I was like, oh, this is super creepy. I was like, oh no, that's what's happening. That is exactly. And I was like flooded. It was like all at once. I was like, oh my God, that's what's happening. It's like being in the twilight zone. You're like, ah, Yeah, it's so true. But it, I think that moments like that, because here's the deal, like that we, it happens, right? It happens in our lives. We, we replay trauma stories. We replay them regardless of who we are. We're going to find ourselves in situations like that. And really instead of, you know, I mean, I was, as of just a few months ago, I'm still being bashed, right? By this individual. I've never once said anything. Like I took that whole experience as a lesson to learn about myself and heal myself on a deeper level. Like I never, and I have been in 
introspect about so many things that had happened in that situation. So it's, it's just really important to remember that when things like that happen, like it's really easy to point the finger and to be the victim. Mm -hmm. And the harder work is taking it back and looking at yourself and saying, you know what, this didn't feel good. Why didn't it feel good? People were hurt. Why were people hurt? What is it in me that needs to be looked at and healed so that this doesn't happen again yeah. on either side? Because I, there was a lot of love loss in that whole situation. Yeah. And I didn't, that was not the way that I wanted it to be. I still don't want it to be that way. I fully respect and wish nothing but the best mm-hmm. for, for her and for everyone else that was involved. I really deeply do. Um, and I know that there were a lot of things that I brought to the table that were unresolved and my own emotional healing that I yeah. hadn't dealt with. So I think yeah. it's, it's just really important to remember that playing the victim card is the easy way out. It is. You got, you got to look deeper at yourself. Yeah. Well, and I feel like now that we're talking about trauma and feelings, <laughs> we're going to, you know, where I'm going next. Um, we're going to segue a little bit because especially in the beginning, in the early stages of coaching, I know that you were working um, primarily with women who were reaching out to you because they were seeking um, a a relationship. They wanted Mm -hmm. to fix things around their ability to show up in and for romantic relationships. And I think that people very often forget when they are pouring their heart and soul out to a coach and working through their shit with their coach that their coach has been through and is often always <laughs> still going through their own shit, like really intense yes. stuff. So I'd love to start with a little snapshot of where you were in your own love life and what was going on um, with your relationship stuff as you were stepping into the space of supporting and helping other people work through. Because I, I do think there's, there's two styles of coaching, man. And, and I think as a coach, you have, you have to go through one to get to the other. One is the sage who has been doing the shit for years. They have looked mm-hmm. at their own stuff for years and years and years. They've worked through other people's stuff for years and years and years. And they have this vast, rich, like chest of experiences to pull from. And that really gives a lot of perspective. And then you have the like, in the fucking trench with you coach who is like current they're like pulling out of their like raw scabby you know like wound to like hand you the jewel that they just mined for themselves and they're like here you go it's fresh like that thing is still warm and i feel like in the early days especially around the relationship stuff that was very much what was happening with you you were you were digging really hard to like heal your own stuff and untangle um quite a cluster of things that was going on and also empower other people with tools to free themselves from similar dynamics as what you were literally facing off with kind of while you were doing it yeah 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 so Oh, my relationship journey. Um, God, yep. it's been a rough one. So, but I think it's important to highlight because it it's, you know, some people know, some people don't kind of when I had, when I had ventured into the coaching space, I had just come out of the hardest relationship of my life. Um, I, was deeply, deeply in love with a man. Now that I'm out of it, I can see all the trauma that was unfolding during the relationship, but I was deeply in love with a man who I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, um, who showed me a lot of things about myself that I hadn't necessarily 
drawn light to. And I was about, you know, nine to 10 months into the relationship, I was cheated on. And this, as much as I, it took me years to really process what had happened and to really find the silver lining in all of it. But if anyone's listening out there, if you've been cheated on before and you're deeply in love with someone, it literally feels like it's, I equate cheating to, it's different when you lose a loved one, right? Like when you, when someone dies, you can, there's like a period at the end of the sentence. So you can move on in life when someone cheats or when someone like does something. <laughs> yeah. Because that person is like dead to you in a way but they're still living and breathing and you know that they're right there, you know? So what this whole experience did for me is that it, it ripped me wide open and I, it really had me look at deep areas of trauma in my life that I hadn't experienced before and that needed healing. And so that was a really, that was a really hard time for me. And at the, at the end of that relationship is really when I started to coach. And I remember some of my first clients coming to me and I was like, literally just giving them what was working for me to get my ass out of bed and not text him or not call him or not want him back. Or, you know, I was, I was taking my clients through my own healing journey at that time. And that took me down the road to you know, it's, it's funny because when you, when you date and when you're out in the dating world and when something like that happens to you, it does highlight the parts of you that need to be healed, but it also recreates new traumas Mm -hmm. that start to show up in further relationships when you start to date. So Mm -hmm. I had been on this magical quest to try and find this perfect person who made me feel the way that he made me feel, but wasn't an absolute asshole and that I could trust that would make me feel good about myself. And it was really hard. I mean, it's, it's, I think with coaching and relationships and where I was, it was, it's funny now looking back on it, do I think that I, I had the wherewithal to be able to coach people through that? At that time, I was like, no. But really, when you're deep and you're in the trenches and you're dealing with your own shit, it's like that's how you show up authentically for people to help them through yeah. what it is that they're going through. Did that answer the question? I don't know. That just cool. answered the we're question. Just, we're creating more <laughs> dialogue like around this subject because, you know, obviously – I was there for a lot of the aftermath, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and so just the way in which you have processed it over the years, because for anyone who has gone through a devastating breakup, like I bet anybody can think of the one right now, Mm -hmm. like everybody has one like that. I have one like that, you know, and it's, and I'm like, am I married to my best friend and have like a gorgeous baby and all the stuff? Yes. That doesn't mean that I don't have like a devastating, like loss of love. Like that has happened to me. And I think it's happened to a lot of people. And when that happens, it's not something, it's not like, oh yeah, my great lost love of, you know, 2007. It's like, it, it goes on. Like you revisit it. It comes up over and over. It comes up in your 
relationships. It comes up in your dreams. It comes up in, you know, you get triggered by seeing a certain kind of car or having someone say something to you a certain way or going to a certain restaurant or, you know, there are all these little muscle memory things that we collect throughout all of our relationships and our, our intimate connections and our soul ties, if you will. And they continue following us around in the world. And it takes um, quite a bit of consciousness, awareness, and, and work, like being willing to observe those things and work through them in order to, to keep that from being, to, to keep from passively just reliving those, those triggers yeah. over and over and over. And so one thing that came up a lot and that you and I discussed a lot in those early years was the sex thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead and just put that on blast. Like, in, in both of our relationships, the sex was really good. <laughs> We're yeah. just going to put it out there. The reason we won't name names in this tell-all is because they don't <laughs> deserve the credit. But that being said, there was a, a sexual awakening component that I'm not even going to give them full credit for, but just based on where we were in our lives, like how old you were and like what your experiences had been before you got to that. And then the intense feelings and the connection, all of that, which contributed to this, you know, I don't, this like monumental experience in your sexuality journey. Um, I think that is something that has played a big role in you moving on to other relationships because it was really hard whenever you would meet someone and you're like, okay, this person seems, you know, healthy and they don't seem crazy and they don't seem like an asshole and they don't seem like they're going to cheat, but the sex just doesn't compare. It just doesn't, you know? Yeah. And that was something that we spent a lot, a lot of time talking about and, and talking about that kind of the, the butterflies and the like, oh, well, it's, ne- it's never going to feel like this. It's never going to feel like this again. Um, I'm going to get to our very recent discovery about that in a second, <laughs> but you know, I'm just like, I'm curious because for as many times as we've had that conversation and, you know, I've given you in it, during that time, you know, as a friend, I'm always like giving you what I think is going on. And, you know, normally it's, it's the same thing, but you know, I just re-say it different ways, you know, to keep it fresh. Um, But as you have gotten more time, you know, away and perspective, and even just, you've really amped up the work and the therapy and all the things that you've been doing in the last few years, because of being a coach, because of this high standard and accountability that you hold yourself to in, in your own growth, how do you feel about that now? Like, how yeah. do you, what do you think that was is like, how do you talk about that now? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you brought this up because I go back to, it actually started with you, which is really funny, but I go back to, um, a book that you suggested that I read years ago called mating in captivity. Yes. Esther Perel, yeah. For the win. Okay. <laughs> yes. For the win. And I didn't read it full disclosure. <laughs> you Typical. gave it to me. I didn't read it's it. Okay. Yeah. You don't However, it's okay. yeah. <laughs> However, I, um, so for, to, to kind of rip the bandaid off for those who are listening now, I am in a relationship. It has been an up and down journey. That's something that we can go into in we a little totally bit. We can totally go into that. We yeah. can definitely talk about that. But my, um, current boyfriend now, Chase, who's just the sweetest soul on a the planet. Of a human. He's literally a gem of a human. And just, he has had his own trauma journey, especially unfold into the past year and a half. Um, but when I met Chase and when Chase and I started dating and we really went through the trenches together, what I always noticed is that I had this sense of deep 
comfort and familiarity and the ability to really show up and be myself. And I had never really found that before in any other relationship that I had been in. And so this weird thing happened with him and I, I mean, we've been through literally everything together. And I started to notice that I, this comfortable feeling wasn't the same feeling that I was feeling with that tumultuous relationship where, as you said, there was this like crazy passionate, found myself sex all the time, feeling this fiery passion, you know, every waking minute of the day, even though this person was drinking uncontrollably and like we weren't in an actual real life relationship, those two things weren't matching up. And so I started to understand, like I was starting to feel this feeling after I had done a lot of healing work of this comfortable, like I was really in tune with who I was. I knew what it was like to be in a healthy relationship with a man who was a good human being, that there was this disconnect between the passion, right? Like what I had created in my brain as a passionate, intimate, you know, deep, lifelong, wonderful sex all the time in every area of the house relationship. And so I was feeling like I wasn't attracted to chase a lot. Like I had this deep feeling of like, God, this is like a lot of work. Like it's really comfortable. We have such a good time together. I'm physically attracted to him. He's super good looking. I love him dearly. I could see him being my husband and the father of my children, but like, I don't want to like rip his clothes off all the time. What's going on? Like, what is this? Your cat like way more than I I know anyone should. (laughs) Ellie, we love Ellie, but she takes shots at my dog all the time. So I know, I know. Yeah, and they have like this weird bond, right? But I always said, like, I'm only I'm gonna I'm only gonna him. spend my life with a man who like who really loves, loves my cat. Yes. Right. So that was so like a cosmic sign. Yeah. He showed up. So this started to happen. And I'm like, what is like what is this? Because I was like, oh, maybe he's just not the one. Like the butterflies are gone. Maybe he's just like not the one for me. And so full disclosure, I went to a sex therapist. And I started seeing a sex therapist in Nashville. I mean, also full disclosure, I only had one session. And that's okay. Sometimes <laughs> it just, you got it. You just got to start somewhere. <laughs> and the first thing he did when I walked into his office is he handed me mating in captivity. And I was like, shit, I should have just listened to Kristen three years ago. And then I wouldn't be having this whole problem again. So I read the book and it was you know, and there's this, it opened my eyes up to so much because we as human beings, and I know that you talk about this all the time, Kristen, and you can probably shed more light on it than I can, because this is a recent discovery for me in the past year and a half. But we as human beings crave two things. We crave comfort, like being comforted, having that sense of, um, comfort in a relationship. Like we crave that. That's something that we need. We need comfort and stability and to be able to trust someone. And then we also crave adventure and excitement and passion. And like, this is two sides of the coin. And so we expect both of those things (laughs) to be ever present all the time. And it's like, they, those two things don't go hand in hand. Like in order to have comfort, there has to be a level of you know, of, you know, kind of not monotony, but there has to be a level of routine and there has to be a level of, you know, just being able to be yourself with someone. And depth and 
familiarity and being really known. And, you know, what you're talking about is that split between security and novelty, right? It's that, you know, that, that needing to be seen and held and, you know, be able to share your deepest, darkest secrets with and be fully accepted. But then you also, you know, want that sexy strange, like you want that, you know, hot, fiery polarity. We talk about polarity as that, like that light and dark, that friction in a relationship that happens. And straight from the queen herself, Esther Burrell, she talks about how the more passion and, you know, like as well, Don Wineland is another teacher who I really love, who does a lot of intimacy and sexuality kind of coaching. He talks about like the light lover and the dark fuck, right? So like mm. everybody, when, when, when we're having the dark fuck, like it's easy to have with someone that you don't know because there's this element of danger and there's this element of surprise. Like you don't know what that other person is thinking. You don't know what they're going to do. Like the energy is very unsure and that's that energy that makes your heart beat fast. And that's what makes you feel excited. And that's what makes you feel, you know, like you want to rip somebody's clothes off and you, you want to get to that next level. But then once you've done that so many times, if you continue doing that and you form a partnership with this person, obviously every time you take their clothes off, you are less and less surprised by what you find because it's the same <laughs> thing over and over. And, you know, those moves that were super hot the first like 12 billion times, you know, they become a little familiar and you can, you can pretty much count off like what they're going to do and the segment that they're going to do it in and what room of the house they're going to do it in. And, and while you're gaining that love and that security and that familiarity and that intimacy, you're losing the novelty. And so that's that's that huge piece in the relationship where once you achieve the the intimacy which is what you need for a healthy relationship mind you and so let's let's go full circle the relationship that lauren had with you know guy number one who really screwed up everything and then the relationship that i had with with my dude they both were full of that that novelty there was a lot of novelty because neither of those people were able to give true intimacy. They weren't able to make us feel safe. They weren't able to give us security. And so we got novelty in spades, which is why when we look back on those relationships, we're like, yeah, I mean, shit, we were super traumatized, but the sex was really good. Um, You know, but it's like, you can't build um, a, a firm foundation on just novelty. Like partnership comes from that security and that, that willingness to be intimate and to, to give intimacy to your partner. And so bringing it back to Chase, like you read that book and you were like, oh shit, like that's, this is what's happening. That was the first time you realized that that was what was happening. Right. Exactly. And I think that that was a huge turning point in my relationship journey because it was, I had noticed that I was leaving relationships because the novelty was wearing off, you know, now granted, like, I don't, want Chase to listen to this and think like, oh, well, I just realized it with you. So you're, (laughs) you're here. But because, you know, a lot of my past relationships too, like I didn't see the, the long-term, like I didn't really see that person as my husband, or I didn't really see that person as the father to my children. So there is, you know, that's different with Chase, but, but I think that that's so important to highlight even for men, because Mm -hmm. it's, we have the, it's not talked about enough. Like the whole concept of having that intimacy and the novelty turning into intimacy, people just label it as boring and I don't have a sex life anymore. And it really is something that you have to actively work on. Well, what's so funny is that that is love avoidance, 
Like the years you spent running from relationship to relationship because the novelty was wearing off is love avoidance. And where, as a coach, where does love avoidance come from, Lauren? (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you coach me right now, Kristen? (laughs) I love avoidance uh, generally stems from an inability or a struggle to love and fully accept ourselves. And so we get real uncomfortable when we start to get to a level in relationship where it is required to show up fully and to be witnessed fully in order for that person to love us. And so we avoid it and we run away from it and we blame it on all kinds of stuff. We say that they have (laughs) dad bods or that they are bad at conversation or that they are, you know, there were, there's a, a list of things that we can use and excuses that we can use to pass by, you know, potential partners because we are uncomfortable and we don't want to go to that next level. And to be fair, um, some of the characters that did show up in your storyline, um, (laughs) you know, I did not see them as your husband either. So that all worked out in the end, but (laughs) there was something very important happening during that time where, you know, there were some nice guys that it wouldn't have hurt you to explore, you know, and practice your intimacy muscle a little bit more with some of them. And you wrote them off for some pretty, um, like in hindsight, some pretty funny, silly reasons, um, just because of what you were going through personally. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And well, and I think it's, it's so beautiful that you brought that up because there, that was a result of what happened in the relationship with Chase too, was this deeper understanding of self. And that is something that regardless of where you are on your journey, like even with me as a coach, it's always a practice. Like it was a good reminder of, oh, I thought I had healed this, but no, I sure didn't. Right. Like now that I have someone who accepts me in all of my glory, like I legit haven't showered in five days and my hair is a freaking mess and I probably stink. And he still wakes up and is like, you're so beautiful, you know? And I'm like, wait, what? No, I'm not, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's that whole, it's that whole journey of just being on this continuous healing process. And I think that that's really what I've noticed in a healthy relationship is that if you're in a healthy relationship that is rooted in intimacy, yes, there is the novelty goes out the window, but there is this deeper understanding of two people coming together to really help each other heal their shit yeah, and look at it. And that's that if there was a book written about Chase and I's relationship up until this point, (laughs) I mean, that would that would be the title of the book is, you know, helping each other heal because that is what we have done on both, both sides of the coin, which has never been anything (laughs) I've had before. My memoir is going to be panties in my purse, the long road home. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody steal my book idea. Okay. Um, Just just panties in my purse, the long walk home. Uh, Just kidding a little bit. So <laughs> from I'm like, can we just take a second to laugh at how funny I am? Okay. From I think just like right now, like we're we're to present. Okay. So you being more established in your coaching practice and having all of these amazing clients. And if anybody follows this girl on Instagram, she's totally fire. And people are like doing your challenges and like coming into your coaching circle and like things have really 
really started moving in the last, you know, couple of years. And it's been really incredible to watch because I know how freaking hard you've worked in all of the ways to make that happen and to build this business and this mission and this work that you are, that you're doing. And so having the awareness that you have, having the tools that you have now, what are some of the biggest things that you are still moving through, whether it is in your romantic relationship, your business, even just coaching, how do you keep yourself in a healthy space so that you can offer things to other people? Because there's, there's a certain amount of, of emotional boundaries that have to be in place for you to do the work that you do. So this is like a, it's kind of like a multi-part question that I would just love for you, for you to speak to. Like, what yeah. are you processing and how are you processing? What are the tools that you're using to do that? Yeah. So from a business standpoint, I would say that I had this huge shift about a year and a half ago that really catapulted my coaching career. And it's something that I have to continue to check in with. And, and honestly, Kristen, it circles back to the ego conversation that we had. And I had this shift in my business where I started to turn the mirror around and really listen to what my clients needed. And I think that so often when I first started coaching, I was coaching from a place of what I thought people needed like what I thought would be best for them as opposed to listening and then giving from that space. So that has been, and listen, that's, that is something that has transferred, not just from my coaching practice, but also to my relationship with Chase and my relationship with my friends too. It's like this ability to listen and to really step back and open up and see what is it that you need and how can I what can I give you that I know that can help you on your, on your path from what it is that you really need. So that's from a business perspective, that's kind of where I have been looking at everything. I think where I'm the, what I'm constantly checking in with and what the constant struggle for me is, and, you know, we could probably talk about this for another hour is regardless of what business you're in, when you're an entrepreneur, imposter syndrome is so real. Oh yeah. And so the daily fight to really make sure that I'm grounded in who I am and that I really do have something to share has been something vital. Um, in my relationship, it's being able to continue to heal these parts of myself. And like, here's the other thing that's coming up for me. I'm 32 years old. I've been single for 32 years of my life for the most part. So I have had to really listen to what my partner needs <laughs> yeah. without, without bogarting what I, what I need and what I want. Yeah. And so having that listening ear and being able to open up is, is really kind of my two big things that I'm working on this year yeah. for business and my personal relationships is being able to take myself out of the mix. I had to be selfish for a little while. Like I really yeah. did That's to get my business sometimes. Yeah, to get my business where it needed to go and to really put myself first so that I could attract yeah. someone that was safe into my life. I had to be a little selfish. And well, so now and, and reframe, like prioritizing self isn't the same as being selfish. So true. There was a Very period true. when you had to prioritize yourself so that you could actually give an impact to the best of your ability. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, and so I think that now that, and I picked up a lot of great things to prioritize self, you know, in the morning, when I get up from my morning routine, my morning routine has shifted a little bit. I used to spend an hour and a half with myself, meditating, journaling, taking time to, you know, sip my tea in the morning and have an hour and a half to myself. Now I have a partner who is a part of my life. You know, it so does like look different when you have partners. Like, can you not see that I'm meditating? Like, if my eyes yeah. are closed, like I'm either asleep or meditating. Neither of which is an appropriate time to be like, "Hey, hey, babe." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just this whole it's it's a whole new shift and and evolution of of my being as a coach and in a relationship. I mean, we've been sitting here having this conversation, and Chase has like peeked his head in three times. Like, hey, like what's going on in there? You I'm know, there with so- the baby. So. <laughs> So it's just, and, and old me is like, oh, I'm in the middle of something, you know? So yeah. it's just this sense of being able to. <laughs> that just, doesn't go away. Even after you're like married and like all the things, I mean, you could, I mean, I told him what I was doing and he's still curious, you know, he's like, how long yeah. does something like that take? Oh. I mean, I just want to know what's, what's happening. Yeah. Am I missing yeah. something? <laughs> the baby's so sleeping. Can I join? Right. Exactly. I think it's just this evolution of, and so much has shifted even just this year of my life, you know, you your friends shift and your relationships shift and your business shifts. And it's, I think that there are two ways that you can be in life. You can paralyze and you can fight or you can continue to open up and look at everything that's happening and say, you know, how can I soften into this? How can I soften into this and make what's happening right now, even if it's new and it feels different, how can I, make the best of it and just kind of relax a little bit, I think is, is the new stage I'm coming into, which is new for me. Yeah. So I want to ask you, is there anything that you wish people would ask you? Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to share really openly and vulnerably about that I haven't asked you? Um, oh man. Maybe like my biggest fear. Yeah. Yeah. What is your biggest, scariest, like shit your pants fear? Man. Okay. So my biggest fear is really not being seen. We just came full circle. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) Who saw that coming? Who saw that, right? <laughs> um, not being seen and not being loved, having nothing to offer. And that mm-hmm. seems very like surface level, whatever. But <laughs> no. No, yeah, no, no. I mean, you know, but it's it's so and I you know, that's a scary thing to really say out loud because I think that it shows who I am and the journey that I've taken for myself, even with coaching. Um, But I always had this huge fear that I would just be this lonely single human who was standing. I used to have this reoccurring dream that I was on top of a mountain, like screaming with my arms wide open. And when I came down from the mountain, nobody heard it. Mm. Wow. And so and I would have this freaking nightmare over and over and over again. And so I think that it's this fear of just, and, and I think if we dig it one 
onion layer deeper, it's a fear of a lack of connection mm-hmm. and not having real tangible connection and being seen by not just being seen by the world, but being seen by people I love and people that I hold close to me. I keep dreaming about driving out on a stage in a black Jeep to Lucky by Britney Spears. So I'm not sure what that means, but that being said, I mean, that, that is a real fact. That is, that's not me attempting to be funny. That is something that I dream about. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Um, but in all seriousness, do you feel seen during this conversation? Do you feel like you have been seen and that you have been able to be fully you? 100%. Beautiful. 100%. That is such, that's, I mean, that's the greatest gift that any of us can receive is to be seen and to be witnessed, but it's also the greatest gift that we can give is to, is to allow that, allow that to happen, to allow people to experience our unencumbered vulnerability you know, to, to remind them that we're all connected and that we're all more alike than we are different and that we are all human and that we are all fighting through shit every day of our life, no matter, you know, how far along on the path we are. And we're all mercifully at different places on the path at different times, which is why there are people who can lead us and who can give us a a leg up and who can, and support us and, and help give us vision and, and help come around us and nurture us while we're going through these things. And that's why, you know, the coach client relationship is so important. It's not that coaches are these like superhumans who don't deal with any of the stuff you're dealing with. It's just that they are people who are deeply committed to continually moving through that painful, heavy stuff at a faster, more intense rate than other people so that they can get a little bit of perspective so that they can get a little bit further down the road so that they can reach back and offer their hand to you and help pull you along. And I I just so beautifully put, I think that you do that so beautifully. So I just, I want to acknowledge you on your own podcast for (laughs) for doing that. (laughs) It feels very like a narcissistic of me. (laughs) No, I just, I'm loving the fact that I'm just like taking over your show. I'm just like, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the hard hitting questions. (laughs) Um, One question though, that you do ask all of your gifts your guests, I was going to say your gifts, which all of your guests are gifts to the show and to the (laughs) listeners. Um, that's also my mom brain just kicking into full effect because I've only had a half a cup of coffee today. (laughs) Um, we skipped the intention setting at the beginning because I kind of blurbed on that. Basically, if you guys have not figured it out, our intention was to give Lauren the space to be really vulnerable with you guys and to share what her process looks like um, in celebration of this incredible journey that she has been on with all of her clients and this meaningful work that she's doing in the world and with the show that is now 50 episodes deep. But something you ask each of your guests at the end of every episode is what are your self-care non-negotiables? And I know you mm-hmm. just briefly touched on how, you know, prioritizing self looks different right now, but what are some things that are non-negotiable despite, you know, partner or no partner? What yeah. are you doing? Um, so self-care non-negotiables for me have always been like meditations an absolute must, like it has to happen. Absolutely has to happen. Um, also like I've tried a million times, you've been a catalyst to help me try this, but I can't give up coffee. Like I just can't, I can't do it. Maybe that's fine. Maybe just keep the coffee. Like, 
right, bigger, right. bigger fish to fry. <laughs> yeah. So that is a self-care, like yeah. non-negotiable for me every morning is my coffee. And I absolutely love it. I can't give it up. Yeah. Um, and you know, I could sit here and go on and on and on about all the things that I do in my morning routine and the things that I do to keep myself grounded. But like we said a little while ago, I think that my non-negotiables have, they have evolved and they've molded as I've, yeah. Keep doing that. They keep changing. So if we're being honest, you know, whatever routine you have now, um, minus the coffee, the coffee is always part of it, but minus that it's, I mean, I, and I've definitely been through that too. Like the, the amount of time and the, the events and the things that you used to incorporate, it's like that definitely changes based on, you know, what's going on with you, what's going on in your house, all of that. Right. Right. And I think something that's, that's really, I've adopted in the past few months that has been just vital in my relation, in my relationship, not just with Chase, but also with friends is this, um, the self-care non-negotiable to bring everything to the table. You know, I really taught and to talk about the hard stuff, you know, like instead of picking up the rug and sweeping it underneath when something hits, taking a moment to go to that person and say, Hey, can I talk to you for five minutes? And can we call to light something that's really bothering me right now Mm -hmm. so that we can work through this? And that has been, I mean, I've always practiced that, but I think that I have been, that's a non-negotiable for me now Mm -hmm. is to really do everything I can to not sweep stuff under the rug. Mm -hmm. And it's changed my life in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, that saying that friends come around for a season, a reason, or a lifetime. Is that what it is? That that. what it's done is it's really highlighted the lifetime friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's highlighted this deep, intimate relationship where nothing's off the table. Yeah. So that's been that's been one of my self-care non-negotiables. Okay. That, that prompted, um, an unscripted and, uh, we can make it the final question because we've been here for a long time. And I, want okay, to yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> I want to make sure you don't have to just listen to two parts. Um, episode 50 and 51 is Kristen and Lauren. Um, so you're talking about, you know, evolutionary relationships. Ours mm-hmm. is one of those. We yes. have been through so many different stages and so many things. And like, if we're being real, which we have been this entire show, We've almost ditched the, ditched the relationship at least twice that I yep. can think of where, you know, stuff came to a head and there was like perceived stuff. And of, of course you guys, like this was not like this, this didn't happen while we were keeping everything on the table. This was like too much time went by. Somebody thought this happened and somebody thought this happened. And then we never talked about it. And then three weeks later, we're kind of like, Hey, so are we just going to like not be friends anymore or are we going to like meet and have a comfortable conversation and figure (laughs) out what's happening right now? (laughs) And every time we did show up and we did do that. And it was, you know, there was moments that it was, I mean, it was pretty uncomfortable. And, but I, I personally, you can speak to your own experience. I always felt kind of silly afterwards because it was never what I thought it was. Like it never was what I thought was happening ever. Um, And so I guess the question is, why do you think our relationship has survived so many seasons? You know, I think that full transparency, the reason that we have survived so many seasons is because there's never been, there's no bullshit in our relationship. Like, and that goes for any of my deep relationships. There's no bullshit. Like I know that I could call you tomorrow and tell you 
the most shameful thing that I had ever done. Like I broke up a chase and I ran back to my ex and we flew to Costa Rica without masks on and touched everybody. <laughs> and we touched babies you know, and old people. And then we had sex on top of a dog sanctuary. Yes. <laughs> and you would not like, you would be so, you'd be like, okay, like, are you like, cool. I'm just going to hold a space for you. Do you want to talk about it? And if you don't want to talk about it, we'll talk about it later. You wouldn't like you signed me. his death warrant, but I don't judge you at all. And I love you and I've got you. He's going to die, yeah. but you, I love you. And I, I think that that's like, I've never felt, and you know, we didn't get into everything that's happened in my relationship with Chase up to this point. You know, he really has, um, we have, because we're in a relationship dealt with um, you know, addiction and mental health and yeah. some stuff that's really, really crappy. Like and stuff really, is still really current stuff. too. And so I think yeah. that, yeah, I, I, I think that there will be definitely a time and a space that I know you're going to want to share that because it's part of your life. Um, yeah. but I, yeah, but I think for the purposes of today, I think you touched on it enough to give people an idea kind of of what's yeah. going on, but like I think there's also something to be said for holding sacred space around things that are still in process when they're like I really raw. Completely agree. And I, I want to invite Chase to that conversation Yeah, because I, absolutely. you know, like he needs to have a say in everything that was going on. But even with that aside, with everything that you knew the ins and outs of all of that, yeah, there was never judgment. And I never felt the need to censor myself or not tell you things or you, and, and that's how it's been our entire relationship. Yeah. You know, like there has never been f full transparency. There has always been full transparency. Yeah. And I think that that's really what has kept us so strong, even crying over matcha. You know, yeah. the first time you made me try matcha and I hated it. I know. We were like, crying over it. Ass. And I was like, <laughs> how can we be friends if you don't like matcha? That's why we almost broke up the first time. It was matcha. <laughs> and then I was like, fine. I don't judge you for not liking matcha. Oh, I accept you as you are. <laughs> It's fine. Even if it's more low vibe, it's whatever. Right. You can have your coffee and tax your and adrenals. Yeah. And, and I will drink matcha and live until I'm 70 without a wrinkle. Okay. Thanks. So <laughs> but I think that that's. Put my head on my head Okay. Okay. This is the cue that it's time I to think go so. now. Woo. This mama's got to get some calories in. You burn a lot of calories breastfeeding. And when you don't eat, it makes you feel real weird in the head. <laughs> but I just, I love you. And I want to, I just want to tie a pretty, a pretty bow on the end of this sloppy conversation to just acknowledge and honor you for the growth that this signifies. I know that this, thankfully we have taken a, a, an energetic pause. We've taken a moment to really, really honor and observe all of the work that you've done up until this moment. And I think that's really important. I think people kind of skip over that stuff and this shit is not easy, man. It's just not. Yeah. And I, I think that the journey has been brutal and breathtaking and everything in between. And I am grateful and honored to be on this path with you. Thank you for inviting Aww. me to, to highlight your growth in this way. I love you. Thank you so much. This has been, this was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. However, I couldn't imagine doing it with anyone but you. So thank you so much for facilitating it and making it happen today. I love you. I love you. And so if much you're going to fly anywhere without a mask, let it be Chicago. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> I will. Okay. I love you. Okay. Love you. Hey, thank you so much for hanging in there and listening with an open and curious heart. 
I hope this conversation has inspired, educated, and entertained you, or at the very least, shaken things up in a productive way. Ann Voskamp says that shame dies when stories are told in safe places. So please share, rate, and review. Sending you love and dark chocolate. Talk soon.